What does it mean to lift the lid, to mine the marketplace, to clearly define what you believe? We unpack all of this and so much more. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for life and leadership in Christ. Today on the podcast, Katie Cole. Katie is a a leading theologian around what it means to develop female leaders. She's a leadership coach. She's got an incredible experience, a vast wealth of experience from executive director of a multi-site to an author to all the things in between. We talk about what it means to bring up female voices, how important it is, how to mine the marketplace. I think you're really going to appreciate her perspective on things. And if you do, do me a favor, share this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody who you know is leading leaders of the female persuasion, which should be everybody. So now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Katie Cole. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have a coach and author and leadership expert, Katie Cole, with us. Katie, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here. Um, You have done so many things over the course of your career, from nursing to managing multi-churches and just leadership consulting. One of the questions that I love to kind of start people with is kind of that big overarching question of how would you describe the calling that God has placed on your life? Oh, gosh, that is a big question. Yeah, just come Uh, out swinging. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do have a really eclectic journey, especially professionally. Uh, But for me, honestly, it's always come down to I am really oriented towards helping people. And I think as I've gotten older and the more I've been uh, involved in church ministry, particularly, I'm very passionate and feel very called to help people who feel outside the kingdom be in. And not so much from an evangelistic standpoint um, specifically, but really there are people that should be a part of a Christian community that have a role in the kingdom that God has called. And uh, through lots of different reasons, a lot of times they don't feel like they're a part of it or they don't belong or they shouldn't be there or they don't even know they could be there. And I'm very passionate about helping the whole kingdom rise up and be everything God has designed us to be. One of the phrases that I love from your website is the term lift the lid. Uh, I wonder if you could kind of talk to me about the birthplace of that and how that came to be. Well, I think for me growing up, uh, especially when I look back, I see that I had a lot of lids on me, either from the very kind of low income experience growing up that I had, or I was, I grew up in the mountains of Montana. We were, you know, we were a big city for Montana, but you know, it's basically the size of my church database now. Uh, and, <laughs> You know, that was a lid I didn't know was there. I put a lot of lids on myself, um, mm. both uh, just assumptions from culture and my family that I grew up in, a lot of assumptions I made from the church culture I grew up in or the filters in which I read scripture. And so uh, for me, a huge piece of being able to help people discover and really walk in their calling is identifying those lids that aren't from the Lord that we have sort of lived under and help lift them. And uh, whatever that next step is, sometimes, you know, I always feel bad because I'm not really someone who has this big vision for my life or a, you know, big 20-year plan. I sort of am a opportune 
opportunity-driven person. I feel like God just keeps opening doors and I keep walking through them. But I am very passionate about us knowing where we are and what that next door of opportunity is and what is the thing that God's, you know, challenging us or uh, inviting us into that would lift that lid that's that's preventing us from being the most Christ-like version of ourselves and having the most impact in the kingdom that he's designed us to have. I think that that's a vision that everybody wants. And one of the things that I notice when I talk to leaders is that oftentimes they don't have that uh, appreciation for lids in their life. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious, as you work with leaders all over the country and the church, outside of the church, what what's like your go-to strategy to identifying a lid? Like, how do I know if I even have one? Well, I think uh, wherever there is a lid, there's always some sense of angst or hurt or disappointment. There's usually a negative feeling or emotion or something that's got us a little stuck. The Lord has an amazing way of revealing those things to us. Sometimes it's it can be clear like sinful behavior, and we have a little bit more insight on that. But the places that I usually focus, uh, once we get those kind of baseline things out of the way, is where are you frustrated? Where mm. do you feel like you're striving? Uh, where is it that things just aren't coming together? Uh, where What what is a reality in your life that you're having a hard time accepting? You just want it to be different. And even though I know it's true and I'm going through the motions, my heart isn't in it. My passions aren't aligned. I don't feel whole or integrated in those spaces. These are all kind of like the words I'm looking for when someone comes to my studio and they're like, I'm trying to figure out my calling. I'm trying to understand my mission or I'm trying to go to this next level and I'm stuck. Uh, we try to figure out where where are those emotions at because they tend to be indicators, not of the issue. They tend to be indicators that there is an issue and where to start looking around uh, for the for the clues that point us in the right direction that we can start to uncover that lid. You've made some pretty big shifts in your career. Started out in the healthcare industry, went to work at. Um, in the church world, did some mission stuff, executive pastoring, uh, executive directoring, and all that kind of jazz. H- how do you discern God's call in your life when it's time for a pivot? Mm-hmm. Uh, great question. And I think one of the challenges that many leaders have, especially if you've been successful in your leadership, is you will have opportunities. And so it's it's never a matter of if the opportunity comes, I should say yes. It's, is this the right one? Is this the right time? Of these couple that I kind of see on the horizon, uh, how do you discern which is the right one? So a few things. Uh, first of all, I found that those opportunities that God brings to me almost always align with my giftedness, or mm. I'm free to to operate out of my gifts. So I try to encourage people, when you look at a job opportunity, or you maybe are going to be promoted into a role that someone has left vacant, who the person uh that was there before isn't really the roadmap for you to be successful. Am I someone who can be successful in this? So I remember when I took over kind of the first impressions team at my church, the person who had been there before was like a 65-year-old retired policeman. And so he had a certain way of operating. It ran a certain way. (laughs) I had very different gifts than him. And so I came in and I did take it to the next level. I did, you know, lift a lid on that ministry, not because I undid what he did, but I brought in my own set of gifts on top of of those systems and structures mm. and kind of processes that he built, but I did it using my my main gifts. So administration, teaching, encouragement. So we had a different kind of culture. We did a lot more trainings. It was a little less legalistic, but I still appreciate processes and systems. We created leadership development systems. So 
I want to know that I can bring my gifts into it. And then secondly, does it line up with my life? So uh, a lot of times callings and opportunities come along, but the season we're in and other priorities, especially when it comes to work decisions, uh, my relationship with God, my family, my own personal health, the other things, the other callings, I would even say that God puts on our life. And I find this primarily with male leaders. They tend to feel like they have one calling, especially those in ministry leadership. There's like this singular calling around the mission of the church, not realizing that they're uh, uh, being a husband, being a dad, being a son, being a friend, being a spiritual leader, all of those things uh, are part of their calling. They all interact. And so you have to really look holistically. As you get older and your life gets more complicated, sometimes we solve one aspect of our life or calling and we break two others. The goal as we get older is that when God brings an opportunity, you actually get a win in three or four areas at one time. That's one of the great confirmations Mm -hmm. that I'm moving in the right direction. Yeah. A guy I had on the podcast named Joe Judge, he always says that a life living um, with integrity is a fully integrated life. Um, One of the passions that you have developed is the idea of female leadership specifically and how to create a culture that promotes that and works to um, promote female leaders in lots of different ways. How, how did you get on to this um, topic and, and when did it kind of become a passion for you? Yeah. Uh, surprisingly enough, not till the last few years. I know I've been a female leader like my whole life for many right. decades now. You'd think I would have as been I, working on this. It's funny because as I was time. saying that question, I was like, well, this sounds so dumb, Tony. But I knew what I meant when I asked it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question, at least for me. Uh, you know, to be honest, I really didn't think about it. I grew up with a single mom and one sister. So I grew up in the house of women where we all did everything. I went into a profession nursing, which is primarily female oriented. So I had a lot of really significant, strong female leaders in my professional early life, which really formed a lot of how I viewed myself or the things I was capable of doing or what I could aspire to. Uh, And then I went into ministry where there were almost no women. Uh, But by then I had a graduate degree. And so I was specifically brought on by my pastors to help bring some leadership and organization at the executive team. And so for me, I didn't really realize many of the challenges that most women have. In fact, when I look back over my leadership journey, uh, I can say that one of the challenges for me was that I often ran into issues around female leadership because I was the only woman on the team, particularly in ministry. And 25 years ago, there was a lot um, lot more dynamics. I got paid a lot less. I had benefits I didn't know I could ask for, just things like that. And I really took it personally that I wasn't a very good leader that uh, I didn't know how to cast vision, that I wasn't good at advocating for myself. I see now that those things are really not true. They were probably more dynamics in the system and the culture I was a part of. But I personalized that and really thought I was, you know, barely a mediocre leader because of it. So as I've gotten older, And as I particularly as I started consulting churches, we kept running into this issue of launching campuses or launching church plants or creating new initiatives and not having enough leaders. And as I popped the HR kind of hood on the car, it really came down to female leaders were not progressing in leadership pipelines. And I was like, Mm. what is this about? (laughs) I haven't really looked at this or thought about this. So I started researching. And really, as I worked with churches, it was pretty clear that uh, these 
male pastors particularly were doing such a good job trying to reach out to women, trying to make space for them, wanted them a part of the team. But what women were hearing or what their experience was really didn't match the heart of their senior leader. And that gap between what a senior leader was trying to build in his church for female leaders and what women leaders were actually experiencing and what they thought was open to them was such a big chasm. I was like, if we could solve that chasm, we could unleash thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of women in the kingdom. And again, that aren't included. This is what I'm really passionate about. Who should be in places that they're not in places? And so I did a big research project. It ended up getting turned into a book. And now this is what I speak and consult on quite significantly in my business. Obviously, this is probably an unfair question since you spent years doing the research, but what what was kind of the, the root of the chasm? What prompted this from a, a senior leader who had a heart for bringing in female leaders that, but then actually they didn't feel that same uh, growth opportunities. I would say it really comes down to, and, and I'm going to put myself in this category because I think one of the things I learned in the research is how many biases I hold against women, including mm. myself. Uh, but I, I am uh, guilty of many of the same ignorant practices that many men do, but really a uh, bias, unconscious bias, like being ignorant of how my decisions or our decisions as a leadership team or the way we phrase things or the way we position things uh, really is not doing what we think it's doing. And so that's why the book is really written for male leaders and why I primarily work with men to try and help Uh, bridge the gap. And even though I was a part of those cultures, I mean, I grew up in leadership for the last 25 years with all these guys. We read the same books, we went to the same conferences. We were mentored in the same practices. Uh, Many of us just didn't stop and really think about it. Uh, And now we've got this sort of um, uh, dynamic in which those things really aren't working for us anymore. But we don't know what's wrong. Now, I am a female leader and I've experienced the other side of it. And so that's why I spend a lot of my time trying to translate between the two groups is I really do feel like I can see it from both sides. And we're so much closer than we feel like, but it does take quite a bit of work and some strategy on the leadership side to make a difference. So can I give you a couple examples of sort of these? Yes, I would love that. Yeah. So a couple, so one of my favorite, um, and I hear this quite often, often is I talk to a senior executive pastor, maybe a campus pastor. And he's like, I've got this great female leader. She's probably either new to leadership or she's a little younger. Um, but it doesn't even necessarily mean younger in age. It's not like she has to be 23. Like sometimes a young female leader is 35 or 40, right? They just haven't been in church leadership much before or any leadership. Um, I've got this great, uh, female leader and I want her to learn. I'll just use a pastor as an example. I want her to learn ministry. I want her to get a feel for things. She's really sharp. I hired her as my admin assistant so she can come to all the executive meetings and sit in on strategy and meet all the players and learn how it all works. Now, that kind of feels like a great way to introduce someone into leadership and to put them in the spaces where you would learn a lot of leadership and be kind of mentored, so to speak. But when you actually are growing a leader, being an admin assistant is almost the worst possible job because Mm. you do all the setup beforehand. You're in charge of sending out the calendar invites. You uh, take notes during the meeting. Yes, you're a part of the conversation or at least in the room, but you aren't actually 
contributing. You aren't actually seen as one of the players. And when it comes to leadership, being good at organizing a staff retreat is not the same thing as being able to lead a team meeting, as being able to be a project manager, as being able to hold people accountable. And so we end up with a lot of women doing a lot of support roles that kind of feel important, but they aren't actually a seat at the table and they aren't actually growing in leadership skills. And one of the ways I know this is because we almost never put men as admin assistants to the senior pastor. If we bring them on, we call them an associate pastor. We make them an intern for a year and they're traveling to conferences. They're sitting at the table. They're getting leadership opportunities. They're running teams. They're managing projects. They're doing actual leadership. And so uh, that kind of mindset where I'm really doing a lot to help this woman, but I'm not actually doing something that builds a leader. That is the thing that trips us up the most. How do, how do leaders, um, I, especially I'm just going to ask for guy leaders. Cause here's the, I'm going to just cut away from the trying to say it politically correct. And I'm, I apologize. We'll make in this, advance. Let's make this a safe place to ask okay. awkward questions. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, as a, as a guy leader, I'm scared to mentor a female for the look of impropriety. And like, mm-hmm. I, I want to give that younger leader a chance. I want to give her an opportunity, but also like, I don't want to be like, I, you know, I've got some of my own, you know, boundaries and rules for my own, just cause I know how people talk in the church and how, how do we navigate the, the, the clearly those kind of tensions and, and differences? That is a fantastic question. And I would challenge that for most of us, particularly in church spaces, uh, that protection is very important. I want to uphold that. I would just like to burst the Christian bubble and say you hanging out with a young man is not any more safe than you hanging out with a young woman and mentoring her. So we are well beyond the safety of gender-only one-on-one relationships. And Mm. so we really need to rethink all of our leadership development practices and primarily get out of this idea that it has to be done one-on-one in this sort of like father-son relationship. Um, and then women have mother-daughter relationships. And part of the reason is it holds women back because most men hold leadership roles or most of the leadership roles are held by men, sure. over 85% of them held by men. And so if women wait around to be mentored by a woman, they're going to wait a really long time and never actually be able to break into those levels of leadership. So we're excluding women from that. But again, we also are not updating our practices to be safe overall. So you probably know that a kind of leadership uh, trick of always taking someone with you, right? You want to mentor sure. someone if you're going to the hospital or a conference or teaching on a Sunday, take someone with you, debrief on the way home, mentor them along the way. I just challenge people to always take two people with you. Take a Mm. guy and a girl, take two guys, take two girls, double your leadership efforts instantly by simply having two people help them form a Barnabas peer relationship in the experience, which really uh, has statistically incredible insights and uh, application to them long-term in terms of uh, morale, development, staying on the team. All of those things get better when you have more friends, more peers in your workplace. Uh, but it also creates a level of safety and allows you to bring anyone along of any age, of any gender, of any anything. Uh, you instantly become an accessible leader that's multiplying yourself, whoever God brings you. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Katie uh, to remind you to check out our website, follow the number two leadcoaching.com. One of the things that I'm really excited about doing with teams are team training events. 
So if you've got a team of leaders that you're working with and you want to unpack some of their identity things, some of the things that maybe hold them back in their leadership, reach out to me. We're working all the time on what it means to discover your wound, how it shows up in relationships and what it does in the workplace. I think you're going to find these conversations fruitful and um, your employees, your team are going to leave with a better understanding of who they are and how they show up in the room. So if I can help you in any way, let me know. Go to my website, follow the number two leadcoaching.com. Now let's finish up this conversation with Katie. One of the things you talk about in the the book is you've got like kind of eight easy to implement best practices, which I, I really appreciate the compartmentalized kind of like steps. You know, you, I can kind of tell you wrote it for guys that way, which I, <laughs> as somebody who reads a lot of books, right? Like at, just in, in the podcast world, um, one of the things that you mentioned is clearly define what you believe. And I, I think um, I'm hoping you might kind of unpack that for us a little bit, because I, I think that there are probably a lot of Christian leaders who are listening who've never done the work of unpacking their theological beliefs around female leadership and what does that look like? And so I'm kind of curious if you could take us down that um, that trail a little bit. Sure. Well, first of all, uh, I grew up in a very eclectic experience on this topic. I went to, I grew up in a very conservative church. I went to a college that was much more progressive on this issue with female pastors. Uh, I served the majority of my ministry career in a church that started off very conservative and then shifted over the years. Um, I attend a very, uh, conservative church on this topic now. So my position is really not one from a theological standpoint. I am not a theologian. I am a leadership expert. So I, uh, my goal is to actually support any theological viewpoint. And the leadership perspective on that that I bring is defining what you believe and being able to communicate that to your church and your team is really critical. Mm-hmm. I think most men would be shocked, <laughs> surprised and shocked at how much time and energy is wasted in female leadership and also men who are trying to uh, lead women or follow them in leadership, how much energy is wasted in confusion over this? Am I? Most women think when they run a meeting on a Sunday, if they lead some sort of serve team, like, I don't know, the, the hospitality team or something, something very benign, they're thinking, am I allowed to pray out loud with a man on the team? Uh, am I allowed to correct someone who is a man? Uh, am I allowed to even be a leader? In fact, most women take what I call girl titles because they don't want to offend any guys or cause any uh, you know, eyebrows to be raised in their leadership. And so when you don't have a title that says I'm leading this, it's really hard to lead because people question what you're doing and you look like you're kind of stepping out of line when actually you are the leader. So uh, all of those things really come down to having a really clear understanding of your theology and then making sure that's being lived out in your culture. So unfortunately, most of us have grown up in a space where we feel like this is kind of a binary choice. I mean, either for women or against women. That's kind of like how it comes down. Uh, I try to make a case in the book that I actually think there are seven viewpoints along a theological spectrum on this topic in which we have different kind of um, strengths on uh, how we view scripture and then how that plays out in our culture, not just in our church culture, but in our home cultures and at the workplace. Uh, there are many churches who have pretty conservative viewpoints on women in leadership in churches, but feel that women can lead at, very, at all the levels in mm-hmm. the marketplace. Well, that's a pretty complicated theology to try and explain to a woman who has to shape shift who she is and her giftedness. So if that's your viewpoint, please know it. 
please articulate it and please explain it to women so they know how to function in all the different areas in which they have a calling. Uh, if you have a very um, extreme kind of perspective where you're like, we want um, women in very few roles or we maybe want women in every single role, those are also very confusing for women because most of those cultures do not align to those theologies. So in our research, we found the biggest gap was not in uh, actually what the theology was. It was in how consistent we are mm. at implementing our theology across the span of our church. And in most churches, quite honest, like if your church is like most churches, uh, every team runs a little differently based sure. on who the leader is. And that creates a lot of confusion for women, especially when they serve on multiple teams. So h- how do we, w- once we implement you know, kind of we define what we believe. How, how do we begin to create a culture that lets women as leaders thrive and and kind of create that environment? Um, because obviously, like you said, everyone's got a bias. So we're all bringing our biases into the conversation. And so we've already got a developed team. Maybe we've neglected the culture conversation for a while. What's it look like to kind of walk this whole thing back and say, okay, let's let's spend some time talking about this and rethink where we are and what we've done? Well, I think we have to really implement uh, this as a change management process, like we would implement any other change that we want to make to our culture. So uh, passivity is really not going to work because we will always kind of default to where the culture has been and the things that are most natural and easy for us. So uh, I don't think it's impossible to do, but it does take some effort and you are going to swim uphill for a little while, which is why uh, most of the things I write in the book are action steps, ways that you can move the culture forwards, uh, kind of some rhythms and standards that you can do to push things forward. And so as we do that, we have found actually it's been pretty easy in many churches to kind mm. of shift this. Clarifying your theology is one of the biggest ones. I will just throw a warning out there to you. Usually the most resistant group to change is uh, older women. Women who grew up in very Mm. conservative culture, especially in American culture, women in their 60s and 70s who were told for decades, their whole life, that their leadership skills were probably sinful and uh, to be corrected, not to be nurtured or developed. And now they see these younger women having platform that they never even imagined possible. And they have a biblical viewpoint that's that has uh, nurtured their their way they've re- lived their life. And so we have to be able to really unpack the scripture as to why we are making a change or why we are we are um, bringing clarity to this if it's not been clarified well in your culture and help these women understand maybe where their own theology or their own teaching or even their own spiritual leaders led them in a different direction and why this is the decision we're making here. So going slow enough that you allow people to get their hearts and their heads around this topic is really important. I haven't really seen anyone um, lose a significant number of people. Well, I'll, anytime you create change, you're going to lose someone. Sure. Uh, but for the most part, if the, if it's done with a careful pastoral heart and not a leader with an agenda to prove something, uh, that pastoral heart, if you pastor people into this shift, most people are excited about it and can see the benefits within weeks or months of releasing women into uh, greater roles of leadership. 
again, whatever that limitation might be for you, you probably have ground to gain in that. Uh, the other is to really shift the narrative. I think most of us, if you've been in church for you know more than 10 years, most of us have grown up with uh, teaching around this being very focused on what women are not allowed to do, which is usually you know, two to five roles at the very top of the org chart, we tend to be very quiet on the hundreds, if not thousands of leadership roles that women are uh, invited and we want them to be leading in our church. And so I just really encourage leaders, if all you do is switch the volume, take the volume on what is not allowed for women to an almost zero and take the volume on all the places you want women to lead to 99% uh, volume, you will see a significant change. Most women are leading way below their capacity of what you have for them. They don't know they can be small group leaders. They don't know that they can run a meeting. They don't know that they should be going to the leadership rally on their own, not because their husband is there. They don't know that they can be teaching in student ministries. They don't know that they can be on a platform in the fifth grade room. They don't know Mm. because all they know is women aren't allowed to do a lot. And if I don't have clarity on where the line is, I will assume I shouldn't do anything unless you specifically ask me, which almost never happens. One of the interesting questions I was, I was talking about uh, this interview with my pastor and we were talking about the idea of culture and he, I said, I said, you got any questions for Katie? And so this question comes from him. Uh, I thought it was a great question. You know, you've got an extensive kind of resume. You've got business and church. Uh, in light of that, where's the healthy differences between like a, a good church culture and a good business culture? When do you see them intertwine? Uh, and and how should the church handle being business-like? Because in a lot of ways, the marketplace is, has done a better job in this particular area than the church has. And But then, you know, not we don't always want the church to be a business. How, how do you, um, what's your take on culture of the church and culture of the marketplace? My personal opinion is I think we've seen a big pendulum swing. Uh, when I was growing up and first into leadership, uh, we really were coming out of a church season where there really wasn't much leadership development in churches and the business mm-hmm. world had really kind of tapped into that and taken off. And so this is like early John Maxwell era, you know, where all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, add value to people, see a 10 on their <laughs> sure. forehead, you know, it was like riveting information. Uh, and so we started reading a lot of business books, incorporating a lot of business strategies, particularly around leadership development. I think that pendulum has swung pretty far to the other direction where I see a lot of churches operating almost exclusively with business practices. Personally, I think that's too far. I don't think the church is designed to be a business. I think it's designed to be a family. And just like when I see uh, strong leaders who are leading their families like businesses where, you know, they're firing their their third grader from setting the table or they've got mission statements that their family has to live up to, we've missed the point of what family is. Family is really, it's, it's the dugout for the game. It's not the game. It's the place you come to huddle up. It's the place you come to get encouraged, to get coached, to get a slap on the back, to be corrected, to get a drink of water, to be, to go to practice, to have a team that loves you. And then you go out and you play together. And I think, um, unfortunately, what we've done in the church world kind of holistically is, uh, when that pendulum swings from being too family where we don't actually like organize ourselves or have music that you want to listen to on a Sunday. Uh, we swung it so far over that the level of professionalism 
or the standards are so high that we are just churning people in and out of church. And we're kind of okay with that because as long as we are getting more customers than we're losing, we feel like our numbers are hit. I don't, I don't think that's the way family operates. Mm -hmm. That's the metaphor Paul uses the most in the New Testament is family. Um, I don't think we have more babies because we, you know, a bunch of kids ran away. That's not like the way we parent. Um, so I think we need to come back to the healthy middle. You know, we always as humans, we go from one extreme to the other. I think we've crossed the middle line. I think that healthy tension between being highly productive and also very, uh, family oriented, honest, humble, knowing that we're pastors and shepherds, like we're actually called to care about all the sheep we have, as well as gain new little baby lambs in the kingdom. We have to do both, um, or we're really missing how kingdom and family operates. One of the things I appreciate as I hear you talk more and more about the work that you do is that you're really intentional about serving both sides of of the aisle, or all sides of the aisle, because maybe it should just be more than both. Um, I think that there's a lot of leaders listening right now who struggle, who struggle to be with someone who doesn't believe in the same thing that they believe in. Hmm. What's your approach when you go into a situation where you know that you're ideologically maybe, I don't want to say opposed, but not aligned with someone? And, And what are some of the tips that you would give a leader who's listening, who's like, Oh man, I got to go serve so and so and they don't believe anything that we believe. Maybe they're on the opposite side of the political aisle. How do we how do we bridge those differences? Hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is the goal. What's the goal of your connection? Like what's trying to happen? I think when it comes to building relationships, when it comes to working in the kingdom, when it comes to partnering with other people in ministry or business or just even navigating your congregation, I think one of the big yeah. challenges for pastors right now is your congregation is more diverse, even if it's the exact same people you had five years ago, (laughs) their (laughs) opinions and viewpoints are more diverse than they ever were before. And how do we be a family that's on mission when uh, we have so many things that we don't align with? And Mm. so I think, you know, anytime we're operating in those spaces, the first the first role is to make sure our hearts are right in terms of, you know, God, what is your agenda here? What versus mine? You know, I always can easily have an agenda. I'm a strategist. I have agendas for everybody. I mean, you want me to tell you what I think God wants for your life? I will tell you. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, what my real job is as an ambassador for Christ is to actually try to prayerfully discern what is God doing in this moment yeah. and what is his agenda. Uh, I had a um, someone describe this as there. I've got a lot of little A agendas in my life, uh, but I'm always on the hunt for what's God's big A agenda. And mm. that will always trump my little A's. If I can't see it, if I don't sense it, if I'm not sure, I just keep going on my little A agenda as far as I can. But as soon as I get a sense of God doing something bigger or different, I'm going to acquiesce to that. And so I think that heart attitude of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit in the moment and prayerfully engaging people uh, based on common ground, based on our unified love for God, based on our heart for other people, there's usually so much more that we have in common, even on this issue of female leadership. You know, people ask me all the time, Katie, what's your opinion? I'm like, honestly, I don't ever talk about my theological opinion publicly. I don't find it's helpful in the work I'm doing. But also, we're going to get to heaven one day and half of us are going to be very surprised. I don't know which half exactly, (laughs) but no one really has a corner on the market on things that we disagree on scripturally. We don't know. There's a lot of things we don't know. And so if I go 
in with a humble attitude that says, I have my opinion, but I don't know if I'm right compared to you. Uh, I want to be open to what God might want to teach me in this interaction, and I want to be open and faithful to what he might want me to say or nudge or ask a question about if there's something that I maybe have learned that you could use. But again, it's not my agenda. It's really got to be what God is doing. I want to join in what God is doing. I don't want to try and create my own thing. I've done that enough. It doesn't work, and it's exhausting. I'm only trying to do the stuff that God is is uh, in the middle of doing. That's where I want to put my efforts. Amen to that. I love that. Uh, okay, I've got one more question for you, but before I ask it, I know that my podcast family's going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Where's the best place to learn about the work that God has called you to and, uh, and pick up their copy of the book? Uh, sure. So my website is the best place to go. It's my name, Katie Cole, and that's spelled K-A-D-I-C-O-L-E dot com. And you can also follow me on social media at Katie Cole. I do have a monthly newsletter, particularly around female leadership. If you're interested in those topics or the places I'm speaking, that kind of thing that comes out once a month, you can sign up for that on the website. Awesome. And we'll link to that, all that in show notes. So if, if you want to, if you're driving right now, just come back and visit it later. Um, Okay, last question I love to ask people. It's an advice question. I'm going to ask you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the season of life that you're in. Oh, that's good. I love that. Okay, give it to me. All right. So I want to take you back to the end of your very first day on staff at a church, right? Mm. Your very first day on staff at a church. If you could go back in time, pull up a chair with that younger version of yourself, sit knee to knee with her, hold her hands. And look her in the eyes. What's the one thing that you want to tell her about the season of life that is to come? Mm, I think I would tell her uh, that you don't need to rush. You're going to have a big, long life in ministry. And you're going to have time to do all the things God has put on your heart. Uh, And I think that for me and I think that for a lot of other leaders, particularly women leaders who feel like their time is short or they may not get another opportunity like this that, you know, God's will for us cannot be thwarted by anyone, including ourselves. And so he's going to bring about the things that he wants to bring about. Our job is to ride the wave that he sends and uh, not go too fast and leave people in the dust. Mm, That's a good word. You don't need to rush. I think that's important for all of us. Katie, I, I really appreciate the generosity of your time today and your willingness to navigate these important waters. Uh, I, I hope that we can stay connected and continue to dialogue more as you're uh, continuing to do God's work in the kingdom. Well, thank you, Tony. Thanks for all you're doing in the kingdom. And I would look forward to that. Thank you guys so much for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I never leave a conversation regretting um, the deep dive that we get to take into things that you don't normally get to talk about. I love Katie's perspective on developing female leaders, about what it means to really mind the marketplace, about how we kind of lean into clearly defining what we believe. Such a fan of her work and thankful, thankful for her and the voice that she plays in the marketplace. Well, guys, that's it for me today. I'm so thankful to be in this community with all of you. If there's anything I can do for you, please don't hesitate to let me know at TWMelt on all of the socials. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.